0: I've studied martial arts a lot, and when you're studying like a uh, like a theoretical concept, it's like studying a technique. You might say like, okay, well, th- in this stance, you you know your your knee is bent at this angle. You have sixty percent of your weight on this front foot. Your your back foot is at this exact angle, um, and so then when you're when you're training, you might actually try and train and get it perfect. But when you're in a fight. Who cares? You're not (laughs) gonna stop the fight, pull out your protractor and kind of measure it, get it right. And for me, that fight is actually making games.
1: Hello, and welcome to episode 60 of the Clockwork Game Design Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Bergun. Today I have a really cool and I think very special episode. Um, we have two sort of interviews. We actually have like a new segment um, that we're experimenting with. And actually, I've reached out to a few other um, people from the KB Games uh, community Discord about uh, people who, you know, I'm always are themselves indie game devs, designers, and. Um, I'm asking them if they want to do their own segments on this show. I'm, I'm looking for people to do five to ten minute little short segments that could be recurring, they could be a segment where it's a conversation with me, or they could be a segment where they do their own thing. By the way, I want to send out a shout out to people listening Uh, if you're a game designer and you want to send in um, a little five minute thing of just you talking about something could be up to 10 minutes um, ideally more like five or six minutes um, of just talking about some topic please send it to me email it to me Um, you can find my email over at my website at keithbergun.net and um, I will definitely add it. Uh, I'm looking for more content like that, a little bit more collaborative stuff. If you wanna have a conversation about something, let me know, we can just record it. So I have this new uh, episode today. Today's guest is Eric Zimmerman. Uh, He is an NYU professor, uh, a game designer, very accomplished game designer, and just a really, um, really intelligent person who is really, Concerned with um, understanding things from many different angles. And that's something that I feel like I, I need more of in my life. Um, you know, kind of having, being able to have this, um, uh, what are those little things? Those things you look through and kaleidoscopic sort of views about things. I think that's really good. Um, and so we talk about that. That's a really good conversation. We talk about all kinds of cool stuff. But yeah. In general, um, that'll be coming up shortly. I just wanted to say that I'm feeling really good about the podcast recently. The last, like, four or five episodes, I feel like, have just been really great. Starting with the Dan C episode, which I thought was, like, kind of a bump up in in quality, and... Yeah, I'm just I'm feeling really good about it. I'm getting a lot of people all of a sudden kind of like being like, hey, yeah, I'll come on the show. And uh, and that's really good. So I have um, Rob Davio coming up next. Um, that'll be the next uh, interview, I think. He, you know, he's a designer, obviously, of Pandemic Legacy and the Legacy series of games. But he's also just a very prolific board game designer. Tons of work. Uh, if you look at his board game geek page, it's pretty intimidating. Um, so I've got him coming up soon. I also wanted to quickly announce that uh, today, that's Tuesday on the 16th, we're starting a one-week 18-card strategy game jam, and that is available on itch.io. You might be able to find it through the itch page if you search uh, for me, or if you search for 18-card strategy jam. Um, I will also obviously post a link in the show notes. Uh, But that's starting today. I would really encourage people to go sign up and and get involved and, and, you know, uh, make some, make some silly fun little strategy card games. The idea is to make a a, a functional strategy game that just requires 18 cards. That's two pages of, you know, eight and a half by 11 paper, which is really convenient. And yeah, that's, that's the idea. I've actually got one I'm working on. I'm really excited about it. Um, And I will probably stream some of that later today. I've been streaming, I'm streaming at twitch.tv slash Keith If anyone wants want, wants to come check that out, please subscribe. And yeah, uh, as always, you can support this show on Patreon. Uh, that's patreon.com slash Keith Pergun. Um, could definitely use it. But anyway, in any case, I'm feeling really good about the content that we have here and what's coming up. Um, so yes, this interview with Eric Zimmerman, it's been a long time coming. Eric's such a cool guy, such an interesting person. He also writes books on game design. Rules of play is his like big thing that he wrote with uh, Katie Salin and um really good book that really reflects like his sort of ideology if you could call it that um uh, on, on design and um yeah he he's he's really great and it was a good conversation and um then after that we'll have a short segment uh the first segment in the uh design scribbles with brett lowey uh, series and i'll i'll give you a little preamble of that before we get that started anyways on to the conversation with eric zimmerman
0: Eric Zimmerman, thank you for coming onto the show. I'm so happy to be here, Keith. I have been a long time listener to the podcast, and so it's amazing to be be here as a guest. Of course, I've you know I know your work, and you and I have crossed paths many times. So really happy to be here.
1: Yeah, no, I'm I'm really glad that I got you on. Um, I wanted to start by just kind of because I I don't know that much about you on a more like I know more about Frank and his his history and his past and how he came to be where he was. And I know that you're kind of intertwined in that a little bit, um, Mm -hmm. right? Because you guys, one of your first jobs together, I think. Just give me your background. What was how did you get into game design? What was your first thing where you were starting to get into game design?
0: Well, in college, I studied art. I have a BFA in painting and an MFA in art and technology. But my first job after grad school was working at a company called RGA Digital Studios with Frank here in New York City in the kind of early mid-90s CD-ROM era. And they were just building an interactive department in this digital studio. And uh, we were we were really um, there at the beginning of them making games. So we did a game called GearHeads, that was my first commercially published title in, I think, 1995. Hmm. Um, I worked with them for a few years, and I left, did some freelancing, I had one company that I had started with with friends from graduate school, um, I worked with Word.com to make Sissy Fight in the late 90s, and then I started an independent studio in 2000 with Peter Lee in New York City called Game Lab. And Game Lab was most well known for Diner Dash, mm-hmm. but we did a lot of games that were kind of, of that, of that early, I hate to use the term, but casual games era. We did games mostly for browsers. We did some original games. We did some work with with partners and clients like Lego. We did a lot of Lego games like Junkbot, for example. Um, and so we uh, we grew to a studio of about 30, um, doing all kinds of projects and ran it for about 10 years. Since then, I've worked freelance for a while. I became a full-time professor at the NYU Game Center. I had started teaching as an adjunct really right after graduate school. So I was teaching as an adjunct for about 20 years before I became a full-time professor. Mm -hmm. Um, I wrote Rules of Play with Katie Salen, what's now a standard textbook for game design. Mm -hmm. And I um, had just been doing a whole variety of projects. that They've included large-scale museum installations with the architect... Natalie Pozzi, um that she and I together have been making these often what feel like large-scale games that you play with your body and with other people in places like Museum of Modern Art, Smithsonian American Art Museum. I've been doing tabletop games like Quantum, a strategy game that I designed, or the metagame, a uh, social card game that I designed with Colleen Macklin and John Sharp. And the three of us are now working on a new project called... Dear Reader, which is a um, word puzzle game that uses classic public domain literature as the basis for word puzzles. So um, yeah, some of the work that I've done has been more uh, commercial, some has been more experimental, but really I'm I'm like a cheap date for for game design. I really just love designing, you know, all kinds of games from playground game, sort of physical games to to weird experimental video games like a project I did with Curious Pictures in New York and Deepak Chopra that used to connect for a meditation kind of game. So I've just done all kinds of weird, weird stuff in in my history.
1: Yeah, that's interesting because like I, you know, I do think of you as someone who is very like one of the most, um, uh, you know, I guess there's there's a lot of like uh, kind of like battles out there in terms of like, you know, what should we value in games? What kinds of games should we make? What kinds of um, lenses should we look at the process of game design through, Um, you know? And I, I've always kind of seen you as somebody who is is you're just kind of like, yes, yes to everything, but not. And, and I used to think that that was. I I used to be a lot more like a philosophically pointed person. And I would I kind of was, you know, I, I thought that that was just kind of like a uh, someone not uh, not having a philosophy or not, you know, engaging. But right. I actually think that 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 is a philosophy in of itself is the philosophy of like, you know, there there's, there's all these different points of view and different ways of looking at things. And there's something great in all of them. And I really think it's to your credit that you're able to, um, have that flexibility and be able to find, you know, beauty and, uh, and, and great like things that you can take and then use in your own way, uh, to, uh, to, to, you know, to build something new and something interesting and something valuable. But what it does also do is it makes me, like, I also still have this, like, chameleon feeling of, for you. Like, what do you, when you go home, like, I feel like there must be something that, like, you actually, like, are drawn to. Like, when you, if you were to just, like, play a game for the next, you know, quit life and just, like, play some game for the next, like, month and just really dive headfirst into it, like, what kind of game might it be?
0: Um... That is well, that is a really long question, but I have to comment on what you said on the first part before I answer sure. you um i I definitely am kind of uh relativist when it comes to game design theory mm-hmm. um, but hopefully I'm not a chameleon in like the Zelig sense right that i have don't have any individual um a point of view of my own mm-hmm. um but in but uh i I think that um uh For me, and I think this has been influenced a lot by my teaching, that for me, teaching has always been part of my game design practice in my professional career. Frank and I started teaching at NYU in the ITP program right when I started my professional career. So, and you know, when you encounter students it just feels so weird to say game design is this way. Mm-hmm. This is the game design process. This is the right way. This is the wrong way. This is a proper game. This is an improper game. Right. If you look at the history of cultural forms, the ones that were most um, influential were always the ones that broke the rules of what came before. Mm-hmm. So the people that try and police boundaries about like what is a proper game or what's a proper way to do game design theory. I think that it's useful rhetorically for figuring out what one's point of view is, but in the end, all of those rules are sort of brittle. Culture, culture is always going to um break its own rules eventually. Sure. And you know, you think about the way that Cubism and painting, you know, completely threw out the rules of representational painting and even the impressionists and post-impressionists before it, you know, and mm-hmm. and now, but now cubist painting looks like something that you would look seems old-fashioned. Like, oh, look at this! Looks like it's something that should be in a hotel in the nineteen sixties or something. Right. Right. Sure. So every everything, everything kind of finds its place within history. Um, for me as a designer, I mean, there are a few things, and again, this is sort of the teacher in me coming out. But um, you know, I I do believe in the iterative process. I believe in rapid prototyping. I believe in you know, having a sense of the kinds of design problems you want to solve, but then being kind of fast and loose and ready to improvise when you need to. Mm -hmm. And I think that specifically, Keith, about your question regarding, you know, point of view and what games should be, I think that in design as a field, truth is utility. Something is true because it helps you solve a design problem, Mm -hmm. not because it's true out in nature or out in the world. So, you know, I, I... I've studied martial arts a lot, and when you're um, when you're studying like a uh, like a theoretical concept, it's like studying a technique. You might say like, okay, well, th- in this stance, you you know your your knee is bent at this angle. You have sixty percent of your weight on this front foot. Your your back foot is at this exact angle, um, and so then when you're when you're training, you might actually try and train and get it perfect. But when you're in a fight. Who cares? You're not <laughs> right. going to fight, pull out your protractor and kind of measure it, get it right. And for me, that fight is actually making games. Mm-hmm. So we're actually wrestling a design problem when you are when you are in the kind of collaborative effort, design solving, improvisational process of trying to kind of wrap your arms around what's the next the next place to take this design or this process or or this, this, this production group, as we move forward, you know, into uncertain realms together, theory is there if it helps you and points Mm -hmm. of view are there to help you. Sometimes you want to be a formalist gearhead because you're balancing a spreadsheet, but other times you have to be, be a human being and think Mm -hmm. about what are the emotions and psychology that this person is feeling. And, you know, I, maybe the single most influential person uh, on my thinking has been Bernie DeKoven. Do you know him? The well-played game? (gasps)
1: Yes, I do. I know the name. I, I gotta like look it up. It's been. It's like it's somewhere in the back of my uh, brain. Tell me more about it, and I, it'll hopefully jog my memory.
0: Well, Bernie DeKoven was associated with the New Games Movement, which was started by Stuart Brand in the nineteen seventies, and they basically were a very hippie kind of um, consciousness raising group. This was essentially before computer games. I mean, I guess there were experiments at MIT and stuff at that point, but, but kind of pre Atari 2600. Mm -hmm. Um, And they would organize these large scale tournaments, which were basically big group physical games. And if you did things like you've played with a parachute in your elementary school class, or you've, you've, like bounced a giant rubber ball around in your gym class as a kid. These things all come from the new games movement Hmm. games that were often collaborative or that, um, broke the rules of what like a proper game should be. Um, and they were often narrative. They often were very playful and absurdist. So they often were quite hard, rough and tumble games at the same time. So there's a whole variety of them. And they, they came out with these two amazing books called, um, new games and more new games that are basically source books for playground-style games to play. But Bernie wrote an, an incredible book called The Well-Played Game. Mm-hmm. and Some of the ideas in there are so prescient in terms of what's interesting to kind of cutting-edge game design theorists today. For example, he was super into the idea of blurring the distinctions between players and designers. And so he, the, for him, The Well-Played Game was a game that players evolve as they play. That the game is flexible enough, that we as a community are generous enough with each other. The point is not to win a game. The point is to achieve the state of playing well together. Hmm. And do that. Like if you're if you're playing with a kid and you're trying to teach them how to play chess or something, the point is not to just demolish the kid every time. Sure. The point is to to have the kind of social awareness to say, well, how maybe I'll. You know, take away some of my pawns and give myself a challenge, or maybe I will. You know, let 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 him always or or her the kid I'm playing with always take a move back mm-hmm. uh, and and modify the rules of the game and understand that you know games are there as as systems. So he Bernie emphasized the play community that kind of springs up around a game as we play this amazing uh, temporary a community of of like-minded people. So this really influenced Katie Salen and I when we were writing uh, Rules of Play together. And um, yeah, it's really influenced me. Bernie is kind of uh, um, had a very spiritual approach to to games and play. He was very much into the experience of play and how it opens us up to each other, how it opens us up to um, new kinds of experiences. Um, you know, it was, it was protest and cultural revolution in a very hippie sense, in a sense of like, not how do we deliver this important cultural message to the rest of the world, but instead, how can playing a game change us and transform us and make us better people? Mm. I still find that very inspiring, but you know, I, I, I am a little bit of a chameleon, I guess, to, to take your to take your word, because sometimes I really think like a hardcore formalist and fall in love with games. And, you know, to answer your question, I love strategy games like you. Mm-hmm. I, uh, if I were to answer your question today, it would be a deep dive into Auto Chess. This new, amazing, interesting um, variant on sort of turn-based Dota-style uh, game. I don't know if you've taken a uh, look at that at all, but that's oh, yeah, I have. super fascinating to me. So if I had a month where I was just going to play a game, I'd do a deep dive into into auto chess. On the other hand, I'm also really interested in the human side, like I said, but the fact that I studied art, um, I'm also really interested in the status of games within culture at large. The idea mm-hmm. that that games can play that kind of trickster role or mischievous role. Games can can kind of have a perverse relationship to mainstream culture in a way that is productive, right? In a way that that's critical. In a way that that shakes people up and makes them think differently about who they are and and what they're doing. So I'm I'm a, I'm a cheap date. You know, I love experimental gameplay. I love crunchy formula systems. I love, um, you know, radical kinds of representations and stories within games. Yeah. Uh, Just depends on the project, you know?
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I completely am with you that I reject the uh, any, like, sort of attempt to, like, have a sort of proper game, uh, you know, declaration. Yeah, but it's, that's
0: new, know. isn't it, Keith? That's a little bit new for you. Well,
1: uh, yes and no. I mean, I my th- my I use the word game to refer to strategy games, which was, you know, I didn't intend. And then in my second book, I changed that and just used strategy game. Um, but, you know, I think there's, there's two things here. There's one is, like, the proper game is like this. You know? And right. that is bad. And I definitely could have been confused with having been doing that. And maybe on some level I was doing right. that before. But Keith,
0: I love people with strong opinions. Mm-hmm. I don't get me wrong. I well, not everybody has to be like me. Not everybody has to be like have a sort of like, like fluid relativist idea about what, what makes a game game. I I I don't think I think the world would be boring if everybody had the same set of opinions. So i've always loved it about you that you've been kind of a design fundamentalist right that you've had extremely strong and sometimes quite rigid opinions about you know what games are and and what game design is and that even saying it now maybe you can't see me because we're talking uh uh, over the internet, but I have a big smile on my face because I really, I really respect your, you know, your strong ideas and, um, you know, so, so like, it, and it happens all over the spectrum. I mean, I would say that the Tale of Tales people, uh, you know, uh, uh Orion Michael, I adore them. They're design fundamentalists too. They're just in the other end of the spectrum. They're not games. Games are bad. You know, game industry is bad. This is sure, the right sure. kind of game. They also, they, they take a kind of theatrical um you know, posturing and, you know, take extremely strong stances too, as in their kind of art manifesto mode, which I also love, you know, so I... No, I mean,
1: I'm with you. I think that that kind of person is more fun to watch (laughs) like they are better television um unfortunately we can't completely control like what it is we believe and you know what i mean like you sort of just you go where life takes you and so yeah one of the the sort of downsides i feel like too i i have softened some of those views and stuff and i think that's helped me as a designer and i think it's made me i don't know I, i you know i i I just think that that kind of person is great to watch on TV, and like also you just you don't want to really like hang out with them. You know what I mean? Like they're they're kind of like I don't yeah. know. They, they, it's, I hear it's, you.
0: I hear you. But can we say that <laughs> rather than saying that you've softened, let's just say that you've expanded your palette. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like, I I really think that game design is one of these fields like filmmaking or something where it's so interdisciplinary. You have to be able to think visually and and in terms of storytelling, in terms of technology and psychology and cultural anthropology and logic and math. And it's just it is it is so radically interdisciplinary that cognitive flexibility is clearly a positive um, quality of a game designer. Uh, every game, you know, every game designer is unique. You know, th- we, we all have kind of different. Uh, superpowers. That's what I used to think about my company game lab, different, different designers would have different kinds of specialties and things that they could do better than anybody, but Mm -hmm. we all have to be really flexible same time
1: yeah no I agree I, I think what I was trying to get at more is like <clears throat> for in terms of uh like fleshing you out as a designer and your identity is like um not you know so there's yeah this this like uh I see it as kind of like a colonial you know planting my flag down this is this is what a game is kind of person not that right. but like but you know a lot of designers have like a project. And and I guess I I guess what I'm hearing is that, you know, your project over time is related to what is the relationship between games and, you know, broader
0: society and and the arts world in particular. Um, Maybe. maybe. On the other hand, I also feel like if I I'm just in my office now, so I'm just seeing on my wall, Quantum, which is a sci fi strategy game. Mm hmm. I I'm not sure that I would say that game is somehow like sophisticated as an art project. That game is really like it's like a triple A board game. Yeah, it's like a 14 year old boy power fantasy, you know, sure. like, uh, of you know taking over planets and you know moving your ships around. It's also really interesting, I think, from a formalist point of view. And it's a project I wanted to do. So I don't know. Maybe I'm. Maybe it's a. May I haven't thought about this before. Maybe I'm like a. I'm like a artist without a signature style. I haven't established myself as just making one kind of game. Maybe that's a, maybe that's a failing on my part.
1: Well, I don't know. Maybe that's just like uh, the sort of, you know, capitalist, everyone has to be a brand kind of thing. That's, uh, that's affecting me a little bit because, you know, ultimately we're all people, we're all exploring stuff, whether we sort of brand ourselves as like, oh, I'm the strategy game guy or whatever we do, you know, ultimately, you know, I, I enjoy all kinds of, Games, I, you know, now and then I like things surprise you, you know, and uh, it's good to like let those things surprise you. Uh, I, used so, to
0: say, I used to say that um, I enjoyed inventing new forms of play, but that's so broad now. And, you know, I feel like games are so much bigger as a field and an industry and a culture than they were even like 10 years ago. That's such a meaningless kind of thing to say. Yeah, I'm not. I, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure, but I guess. I guess I definitely can say that I really, really love making games, and I feel so privileged to be um, uh, doing what I love. And I also feel that in general, it's a good thing to be engaged with games. I think it's an important form of culture, and I think that um, you know. And I mean this in a lot of different levels, but for example, the Bernie DeKoven sense of that, I think uh, playing together really engages uh, people with each other in in particular ways.
1: Yeah, no, I I totally agree. Um, So actually, uh, I have other things to talk about, but you brought up auto chess and I kind of want to hear you riff on that a little bit more. Why do do you find that to be? Because I'm actually very conflicted about auto chess and actually... Probably leaning on the negative side in terms of my opinion of it um, But I would love to hear you kind of um, riff on what's so interesting about it to
0: you Well, I've only played it a tiny bit. So it's just like I have just have just the tip of that iceberg, but um, It's actually similar to some ideas. I've been pursuing and prototyping for a few years that have to do with um, autonomous uh, agents as as game pieces. And th- I've been really fascinated with this idea. Way, way, way back, I remember experiments like Creatures and Mendel from the 90s that were about autonomous sort of agents and what they would do together. I remember uh what was that what was that game from the nineties where you would basically program little robots, robot wars or code uh, War? The board game or no 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 it was a digital game, not oh. Rally. It was right. a okay uh Core Wars. Okay. I think it's called, but where you would kind of like design units, and then the units would go and fight each other. And Gearheads definitely has some of that as well. Um, but I I think that um, uh, so what's interesting is that the more autonomous a, a game character is, the more potentially interesting its behavior is. But also, there's a crisis of agency for the player because you know if you play a game like. I think this is how some of the sim games fail, like a game like Sim Earth, for example, is really interesting. But there's not quite enough agency for you to make it feel like a game. Mm. Uh, That I'm really like trying to solve a particular problem that has like a big problem and like sub problems. SimCity has that. You can say like, oh, my gosh, we're out of money. How do we do it? Well, what if we increase this? Well, if we increase that, then that's going to affect transportation over here. We can't afford that other project. And so you have this kind of interrelated thinking um but anyway in so so there's this crisis of agency when you have autonomous units and i think what auto chess seems to be doing well is that it gives you a fairly narrow window of interactivity so what you're doing as a player is very straightforward and simple you're mostly picking a, picking pieces from a lineup designing a set and deploying them on a board and i guess part of that involves who you're giving weapons to and who you're leveling up um and it's all this kind of interesting combinatorial explanation uh, of this kind of big space of possible units but then the the they act by themselves so you're you're just like winding up the toys and letting them go and then you watch them fight each other and i think that that's there's still so much depth and interest there i think it's interesting that um uh that the that and for me that's elegance and I know that you write about elegance too. Elegance in the and I think you also use the same thing, the the Buckminster Fuller effort to effect ratio. So that, y- that you're not doing that much in terms of you're not micromanaging every unit's interaction with each other, but you still feel that your decisions have a lot of weight and meaning and value. It just it feels like it's potentially a really cool space to explore combinatorial complexity. Um, I also think it's interesting how it's kind of borrowing from, you know, an elimination tournament structure, which feels influenced by um, uh, Battle Royale style structures, Mm -hmm. um, where you're kind of in it for a while, and then you get knocked out uh, of the tournament. So I I feel like there's a lot going on. Does that... Am I, is, is what I'm saying making sense to you? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, it's definitely as just like a general cultural
1: artifact, it's something that you can't ignore, I think, as a game designer. I think, uh, you know, I've had a few conversations. Um, Tim Fowers uh, said that it was basically like fantasy football, which I think is um, is, right. a, is a good uh, explanation of, yeah, of how it's it.
0: A, it's another example of, yeah, wind them up and then, and then you know, they, they take care of the details for you. Yeah. I
1: mean, I think one of the really interesting, uh, my two favorite things about it, uh, that I think are most promising about it as in terms of what it represents in like the growth of video games is one it's, um, actually, you know, it's like zero execution. Um, and this is, uh, you know, uh, built in Dota, which is obviously a relatively high execution game um and that's also sort of blended together with this um yeah, it's it's basically a drafting game it's like basically a card game actually in, in a lot of ways um yeah. and so i am i've been really interested you know for me as like this formalist strategy game designer the games like your game quantum like you know these euro style like designer board games have been my like holy grail kind of like that's where i see all the innovation of the kind that really excites me and um and and so to see i think dota auto chess sort of to me looks like a bit of a merger between video games and those kinds of games where the, it's starting to blur together it's starting to kind of come together and you know it, it to me it seems like you know, if you look at it just as like a drafting game, like there's so many interesting, cool drafting games in the board game right. space. And this this sort of feels like, oh, that's cute. Video games are trying a drafting thing. And it's like, you know, but it really does represent like a, a, a major step up in that kind of interact interaction, while at the same time, I think continuing this, if you look at like from RTS games like Starcraft to Dota to auto chess it seems i mean at least in that space it seems like people are like going like less and less execution um which is interesting to me as someone who you know i i generally one of my things inside my project of strategy game design is i i i am skeptical of execution as uh as something that uh you know is ultimately like helpful to uh design
0: I think what's, yeah, what's I I remember when in the early days of real-time strategy games, when Dune 2 came out and then the first Warcraft um, in the 90s, they always seemed like, oh, this is kind of like the promise of toy soldiers, Mm -hmm. like toy soldiers as a, you know, like as a young boy's play fantasy. It's like you set them all up and then they're going to f- walk to each other and fight each other. Except in this case, if you have to click and select and move them and give commands and they have some autonomy, but you're moving them around. And so, um, auto chess is really seems like it's, you know, it's really setting up the toy soldiers and then, then they're fighting each other. It makes a lot of sense. I, I, I think what, what's interesting is that there's also some, some wonderful UI issues as well. Um, and, that's um you know like really showing exactly the ramifications of your decisions and exactly who's fighting with what i it was they were it's been a little impenetrable to me in terms of exactly trying to follow the action but i i know that that just comes with a lot of time and and watching a lot of matches like i said i've really just started looking looking at that but i agree with you i think low execution Ah, uh, in terms of you know low skill, physical skill, or, or hand-eye coordination, is super interesting, and that doesn't mean a game doesn't have to be deep, right? Poker mm-hmm. is really deep. Chess is really deep. Um, and but I, I'm my my history has generally been in games that are more of a mass audience or general audience, even if they have one one foot in like a more in depth. I always like I always think you have to have you know, a really good and clear and easy to play game design to kind of lead people in to to um into those depths. Um so that's that's why I I agree with you that that games that don't require a huge skill time investment where you can start having a uh an interesting experience right away are are super interesting.
1: Um yeah, no, I'm I it's definitely something I'm gonna be keeping tuned to and it's interesting too that there's also um you know there's like a, so riot just released their own team fight tactics there's the dota underlords i'm sure there's like five other companies that are all making the, you know their own versions of yep. this so it's interesting to see how um there's all these like different tendrils design concepts you know sub designs um right. kind of floating around and we get to see in real time like how do they all adapt and right. you know which right. ones do well
0: genre. yeah very cool
1: yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. Okay, so I also wanted to ask you about your recent talk. Uh, games are not good for you. Um, I, 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 I read through the slides, but I wasn't totally able to uh, like piece it all together. So why don't you give me the whole rundown? Like, What was that talk about? Um, where did you give that talk again? I, I'm forgetting right now.
0: I, I gave the talk at the Games for Change Festival, and I had given a, a version of it at the Serious Games Festival last fall. Gotcha. serious games or mean, sorry, meaningful play conference. It's called meaningful play. And both of these events are kind of geared towards games that are valued, not just for their fun and entertainment. So it's, mm. uh, it's like educational games or games for training games for activism, games for change is really the premier Kind of serious games event I think uh, around the world and it's a uh, it's a very cool festival It's been going on for many many years more than 10 years. I'm pretty sure and um, uh, My talk was meant to challenge those people a little bit um, and just say What are we doing? Like what what do you what do you think you're doing? when when we talk about um, You know games for change and you know, I I guess I, I I'm i sort of the loyal opposition I really support that community. I've certainly mm-hmm. done a lot of work in the educational game space. I see work with companies like Lego as being kind of like one foot in fun and one foot in, you know, kind of cognitive learning, just like real Lego blocks. Um mm-hmm. and some things that I've done have been even more explicitly educational. Um, we did a project at my company Game Lab, uh, called Game Star Mechanic that was designed to uh let kids create their own game. So it's kind of like a game design tool but without programming so it's kind of like a drag and drop uh game design game building thing that still exists okay. online it's a little long in the tooth now but it's uh it's still online um and i even helped start uh the institute of play which it was a nonprofit that that designed whole schools based on games and play as a model for learning um so i never was I wasn't a staff in the organization, but I was on the board and I helped start it. So I just to say that I've been involved in some of these games and learning thing, even though it's not the focus of my career. Um. So, so I really am the loyal opposition in a sense. But sure. I, you know, at that conference, which was a really great conference, there was a lot of people just hyping games are going to change the world. Games can do this. We're here to change the world. Games are going to do all this stuff. It just was the, the, the worst kind of silver bullet language you've mm. ever completely unapologetic. Yeah. Like, Hey everybody, we know how great games are. We know how they're going to change people's minds and thinking and uh, to me it's all about the details. What, what are you actually saying? Right. You, you can't point to another form of culture and say, yeah, right, images, images change the world. Clearly, we're going to use images. We're going to You can't just say that. Yeah. You have to be like what are you actually doing? Words. Words change the world. Yeah, let's right. talk about words. Words are great. Right? Words enter your brain and when words do that, to me the word game is as general as the word image or the word Mm. word it's just it's you you it's i think it's irresponsible to talk about games that way because it it kind of plays into the these cycles of hype and um uh disappointment that happen in games so there have been you know i mean it it happens with technology too there have been cycles of hype and disappointment around vr around you know mobile gaming although this last round seems to have caught on a little bit better um, but these are design problems. You know, these are really complicated design problems, and it's just a lot of hand waving. So my talk was a little bit wanted to challenge people on that, mm-hmm. and, but also talk about okay, games really are relevant to the to to our world today. How are they relevant? And what are some strategies for thinking about them that are going to kind of get us where where we want to go? That are going to get us um, towards doing the things that engage with culture. In, a, in an in a meaningful and deep and and resonant way but I don't think that it is the way that that most people are talking about it I don't think that it's about propaganda I don't think that it's about uh, gamification and behavior change for example
1: so what in then and then what, what do you think is what, what's um, the alternative in your mind well,
0: I mean one one approach that I talked about I used a lot of examples from outside of games in my talk I talked about the way art, works in the way both art educators and artists think about how their work connects to society. I, I used as an example, Edward Bernitsky who is a um, photographer um, who does these large scale landscapes of kind of industrial wastelands, but they're beautiful seductive photographs. Like he's, he does these like 20 foot photographs that are, uh, in museums that are like of uh, of chip factories, clean rooms, or of like um, places in Southeast Asia where they are, um, you know, uh, taking apart giant uh, ships and and tankers for scrap metal and things like that that are just these kind of weird dystopian images. And the way he writes about his work is that it is he wants them to be beautiful and seduce, the viewer but then he also wants people to suddenly start realizing what it's about and start feeling a mix of emotions that has mm. to do with um you know fear and horror and disgust and have a kind of a critical response in other words they're they're not simple propaganda with a message to communicate and and he's not making them with an eye towards well this is this is what i want to have happen in people's minds right i, I don't think that culture works like that i think for games to be really influential. Um, The people that want to use them to create social change or cultural change have to think about them the way that we think about art and culture and film and music and literature, which is always kind of you know it's not in this kind of instrumental way. Mm-hmm. I think when people when people say, "Oh, I want to gamify this thing," or or you know, uh, we want after people play this game, their their opinion changes here, their behavior changes there. They're really like strip mining superficial aspects of games like points and levels and interactivity but they're leaving the soul of games behind like what bernie de talks about you know for example that by playing a game the act of playing a game is a way to get to know yourself better more deeply or a way to get to know what it means to be human or to connect to other people but that doesn't mean that the game gives you a lecture on what it means to be human you right. know and it, it doesn't mean that that you you take a test about humanness or that you know it 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 rewards you for for doing what the game sees as a human behavior. It means that like maybe it's the opposite. Maybe the game puts you in a situation where you are tempted to cheat and uh, on someone and really like uh, break social rules, and then you have to decide if you do or don't. And that's like an incredibly meaningful human moment. But it's not about like this sort of goody two shoes, you know, showing you showing you the right way and the wrong way. So I you know to me that's that's all um, uh, uh, just, I just wanted to kind of shake people up a little bit. And, you know, I showed a lot of different examples from, 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 from some from my own work, but but mostly from other people and uh, mostly not of games.
1: So yeah, what, what resonates to me about that is that um, there is even in the games for change type of movement or serious games uh, movements, there are um, like, so there's a way that when you just talk about process, uh, and this is something I, I learned a lot about, you know, in in studying, like, the world of politics, is that you can kind of, like, focus a lot on process so that you don't have to actually look at, like, issues. Like, actual, like, what are the actual, what are we specifically discussing rather than the mechanics of how we would go about doing something? You know what I mean? So, and this is one of the problems and the, the downsides of being too overly formal um, is that you sort of get obsessed with, process and how actually mechanically you would do things and you don't actually ask the question as much of like well what would you actually do what do you actually want to do and what would actually be good in the world and so I think it's interesting to hear that even in this space it sounds like some part of the problem is an over overly formal view or, or just a sort of myopic view of um, you know something like gamification well well gamification for what to
0: what end like why
1: you yeah, know right. um,
0: I think my my big critique of gamification is that I believe that as a designer every every game implies a model of what it means to be human. So every game kind of constructs a notion of who the player is, sometimes explicitly through the intention of the designer, sometimes implicitly through the genre or through the you know the what just what happens in the game. The model of what it means to be human from a gamified point of view is basically just a... Behaviorist rat in a cage. <laughs> you, right. are, you know, you're shocking it or you're giving it rewards after it pushes a lever. So sort of, like it's such an impoverished idea of humanity. Mm. And to say that, like, that's what we're doing, that's our goal, that's how we're gonna make this company more creative. That's how now I understand for frequent flyer programs where you're really just trying to condition people to use your brand over and over again. Okay, but that's not like, that's not what education is about. This is part of my critique as well. A lot of these kind of very instrumentalized ways of thinking about um, what it means to be human are tied to very, very simple ideas of what it means to learn and what literacy is. Yeah. And so, it, you know, it, it's, what does it mean to be educated today? It's not about memorizing information because things have changed since the 19th century. We now have access to digital tools that mean it's much more about understanding processes and systems and and people solving problems and being critical about information, not about memorizing, you know, facts and figures, et cetera, et cetera. So these very like flat-footed, simple-minded approaches to education just are not as relevant today. But the good news is that I think that games do train us in those forms of literacy. Games do train us to think about systems, they train us to solve, be problem solvers, because, you know, the, the, there's a blurry distinction between players and designers. Um, There's a, you know, the games are super relevant. And that's why one of my big ideas is that I talk about the ludic century that we're living in an era that is That is that one could define by games. That so Mm -hmm. many aspects of our lives today are, are totally bound up in networks of digital information. The way that we work and learn and communicate, the way that we conduct our finances and connect with our governments, the way that we flirt and socialize and romance, just like all of these aspects of our lives are completely bound up in digital networks of information. So what it means to be literate, what it means to which is just really creating and understanding meaning that's all that literacy means um is 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 new today is is something different and it just so happens that games are the ancient human form of expression that that embody these kinds of systemic relationships that every time you play a game of chess or auto chess uh or or tennis or tetris you're you're in you're kind of practicing these literacies. Now, I don't want to instrumentalize games and say, well, games are only useful because they're teaching us these things. I'm just trying to say that if your goal is to try and have an extrinsic effect, right? Something outside the game is important to you to have a revelation, to tell a story, to connect what you're doing to the outside world. If that's important to you, it doesn't have to be. But then I think there's much more sophisticated models that we can use for thinking about the relationship between games and the outside world than... usually goes on in educational games or serious games. Sorry, I went on a bit of a rant there. I really no, no that's good have a lot of airtime, but
1: <laughs> no, no, no. That, that's great. That's yeah. I mean, the, the one thing that just stood out to me is like, um, you know, a lot of times in these gamification conversations or like, you know, obviously when people start talking about like you know things like retention and things like that how much us us as as gamers or game players and us as even academics and you know um just just regular people how much we internalize um the problems of like a corporation's bottom line or like shareholders like as you know as like it's like that's their problem like you know they have to figure out how to actually make money with things or how to keep players playing or whatever that that, I that's not something that should be of concern to me uh yet we all kind of internalize that yeah. a lot and uh that's something that's also i think a part of the the problem there
0: and i, I don't want to say that games are i mean the danger of what i'm saying is that it sounds like another magic bullet right oh games naturally lead to all these kinds of literacy games right. are obviously totally fucked up i mean there's a kind of weird narrow-minded Kind of overfocus that you can have on systems and things to the detriment of thinking about games critically or culturally, I think phenomena like GamerGate clearly show us that games do not automatically lead to this kind of expansive worldview or, you know, this notion of understanding how the parts interrelate to form a whole. So I'm just saying that it's, you know, it's not, you know, nothing is a given. And, you know, the, I think another critique of what I'm saying is that it's just myopic, right? Hey, I'm a game designer. And it just so happens that the you know my 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 uh, my career of passion is the one that I'm saying is the key to understanding the 21st century. But it, it's it's one way of it's one way of framing it, right? And so I'm back to my chameleon mode, but um, I, I think it's for me a useful way of framing it, and it's a useful way again for those who are trying to figure out how do games relate to the outside world, because I I also think that games are interesting. This whole magic circle idea because it's possible to think about games as closed systems if you put your mm. hat on, therefore they've kind of lent themselves to this more closed-off thinking in their history. Right. At least, you know? so, so I think trying to find ways that what I really love is finding ways that do justice to what makes a game unique and these kind of structural qualities of games that fascinate you, Keith, and me, and and probably a lot of your audience, but I also want to be equally fascinated by just culture at large and how games mm-hmm. fit into the big cultural landscape. And if we're not doing that too, we're not doing the work. That's that we're not we're not doing the responsible work of really understanding the ramifications of what of the media that we're putting out there. You know? And again, yeah. not that there's some weird monkey see monkey do relationship with media because there's not, you know. And I'm right. I'm all for I'm all for like provocative, inappropriate, you know, I love hoaxes and 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 um and you know pranks and you know all kinds of like uh you know inappropriate art uh that that does things that it's not supposed to do, like bank, like uh, bank, Banksy, and all, all kinds of stuff like that.
1: Sure. Yeah. No. I mean, I yeah, you're right that like the 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 fundamental thing about games, sort of one of the fundamental qualities about them, is that that you are creating this little world, and cool. so there's these you know like what kind of little world are you creating, and that's something that's been a real hurdle for me um, as a strategy game designer because I feel like so I, I feel like I've become more aware of things that. Um, you know, outside of strategy games that matter to people and that are important. You know, like um, uh, you know, representation. You
0: know
1: I think, go yeah,
0: on. Yeah, I know, I know. I heard you. I heard you on an earlier, uh, a recent podcast talking about um, talking about the, you know, the the problematics of the of Civ representation in Civ. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay, but let me juxtapose a different way of thinking about games. So yes, one way. Of, see, for me, these are all lenses. Saying that a game a creation of a kind of a, a miniature world—that's an often super useful and important and necessary way of thinking about a game. But another way is it's saying like, you know, a, a game is like a skateboard. It's it's a thing that you make to play with something else. Mm-hmm. So it's like a skateboard is not a a skateboard is not is a is a plaything. But it's not a plaything that's all wrapped up in itself. It's a plaything that lets you transform your surroundings into a play field in a way that you're not supposed to like a skateboard is a great model for a game too because it's like it's like a little portable set of rules in this case it's a physical structure but that you know through a lot of effort and skill you can like grind on a on a on a railing or you can you know uh, go down a s- stairs in a way that you're not you you don't usually and and it's playful it's playful in the right. sense of you know you're you're using structures you're finding new ways to make use of structure so I, I I love that to me that's that's like the antidote right well okay let me push back on that a little bit because world
1: well I, I'm I'm not maybe you're right but uh from just like so taking the skateboard analogy you know like it's like if we had a world where all the skateboards you know had swastikas on them or something and i was like okay shoot i need to like make a skateboard that doesn't have one of those on it because like i'm not an asshole (laughs) um and then i find out like oh wait actually like uh, it's actually really hard to make one that doesn't have that on it. i don't know why maybe some weird you know d- that's kind of hard to explain in this uh in this analogy but um just was if you imagine
0: was, was this a dream you had last night very
1: <laughs> <laughs> no but i'm just saying like that's that's kind of where i find myself in this strategy game situation is that like a lot of the aesthetics whether you look at it as a skateboard or, or any in i don't know maybe there's other lenses or maybe i'm not understanding what you're saying but like it, it appears to me that like the a lot of the strategy the aesthetic of strategy games and what people enjoy about strategy games are themselves sort of like fundamentally tied up in things like domination and, you know, like, like seeing people as others and like, you know, ranking people and, uh, and just, and a lot of things that are maybe a little bit trouble for, you know, for, if you care about, uh, portraying things in a way that's like responsible. And so it's hard. Do you know what I'm, do you see what I'm kind of getting at?
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Um, I think that there's interesting ways of splitting that difference. Like, for example, um, I told you that I was going to try and work it in, but a project here. So here we go. A project that I'm working <laughs> on now is um called Deer Reader. I'm working on it with Local Number Twelve, the same people that did the card game, the Meta Game. But this is a video game, um, and. It uses public domain literature like *Alice in Wonderland* and *Moby Dick* as the basis for a series of uh, word puzzle games. So you're actually what you're doing is kind of reconstructing um, pages from these books, but by 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 doing actual. Um, uh things like swapping letters around or words or lines or or getting rid of of words we've randomly added it's procedural puzzles there's 20 more than 20 different procedural puzzles that get applied to the literature and so for me this is like i really like this one of the things i like about this project is that it it has a skateboard aspect that it's it's basically a procedure that could be applied to literature so the world in this case is a cultural terrain of these classic these books but then it there it is an actual game it's a design game there's lots of interfaces and and leveling and and balance and uh you know uh, experience design and screen design and all the stuff that 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 goes into it so um uh, that's I don't know to me that's it that it's kind of an example of a game that that we're able to have the skateboard aspect but also the strategy game kind of closed aspect to. So
1: yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I, there's certainly games. I mean, you know, arguably most games involve some some kind of strategy. You know, um, I guess um, I'm I'm Tom speaking a little bit more narrowly in the kinds of I guess you could say maybe maybe and and maybe that narrowness is the problem itself, right? Like um, there's this kind of you know classical multiplayer competitive strategy game concept, and right. maybe maybe the terrible toxic things that i want to avoid are wrapped up in that inextricably but well, maybe I'll give,
0: I'll give you another example i've been working on an idea uh i mean i love deck building games mm-hmm. but i just feel that the the kinds of like what what is a every game is, is games are usually about conflict right the content in games is territorial conflict conflict between characters military conflict sometimes economic conflict or but i you know like i you know for me what's interesting would be could you model a different kind of conflict? Like I'm, I'm thinking about a deck builder as a way of doing a portrait of someone. Mm -hmm. Um, Interesting. so, So it's still, you know, you're still like you're encountering obstacles in your daily life. And then those obstacles are like a little deck that you're battling. And then the idea that your deck changes is the way that like, Oh, by having this conversation or by overcoming this obstacle, you yourself change. Mm. Right, so I don't know. I, I I'm I'm just like starting to chew on this idea as a design idea. But to me, it's kind of interesting um, that. And I don't think that I would have to sacrifice what I love about deck builders, which has to do with you know designing a thing, which then plays out in a semi-random, semi-procedural way. Your deck, um, the combinatorial complexity and the possibilities of like, oh, I want to play this again and try a totally different deck building approach. Um, the the kind of the roguelike aspect of getting random opponents or randomized opponents in some way So I don't think I would have to sacrifice any of that, but it doesn't have to be um, But but that again could could kind of be interesting on both a gameplay and a cultural level and from a game design point of view It's interesting the way that it, it brings those together. So I these are really tough interesting design problems I just think that people often just default to genre, mm-hmm. um, th- but, but, but Keith, this is exactly why I think some of your, your books and your thinking, um, are so interesting because the ability to try and deconstruct games and, and how they're put together are some of the design skills that let you then kind of try and remix them and, and understand them better. Right. You don't, just because you, you, you're really interested in, in, um, uh understanding how strategy games work that that can mean that you you become like the most adroit assassin of strategy games you're gonna like take them apart and and build things that you one never thought could be considered strategy games but they've got like some of the elements in there you know what i'm saying sure sure sure
1: yeah i mean mean, hopefully that's the idea
0: um by the way i should tell you we had a um i don't think i mentioned this but I had an a independent study with some MFA students last semester that it was a systems thinking um, uh, reading group. Mm-hmm. And so we mostly read from outside of games. We read uh, systems thinking proper, like Danella Meadows thinking through systems. We read uh, uh, um, Seymour, uh, uh, Marvin Minsky's book, Society of Mind. We read some stuff about voting. We read Jane Jacobs writing about um urban planning, but we ended it by reading Clockwork Game Design because we wanted to kind of bring it home to, to games. So. Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, so we, we were reading. Yeah, it was really interesting to read your book in the context of just like really rigorous uh, systems thinking. So it's really a oh. Well, that's great. I'm really glad that, that
1: that's, uh, that's, that's been useful. Um, I, I So we can wrap up, uh, but I want to ask you two more quick questions. Okay. Uh, one is, uh, are you going to any more conferences this year that... Uh, I might see you at.
0: Oof, I don't know. I don't know if I have any. Um, I don't know if I have anything on the docket. Come okay. To- yeah. Uh, not. Yeah. You know,
1: not sure. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. That's fine. And then the other question I wanted to ask was, and you kind of already sort of gave one in the Dota uh, example, the Dota auto chess example, but I wanted to get uh, some game recommendations from you. Uh, what? Are you playing are you playing anything now that you're like actively playing for fun? Uh or is there anything you would recommend like designers check out?
0: Yeah, I okay. The a game I'm playing a lot, uh as kind of like my uh you know, subway on my phone um time waster game, although that's a horrible thing to say, but I, I mean it in a positive sense. Yeah. Twinfold by Kenny. Sorry, what you know that game? Say it again. Twinfold. 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 T-P-I-N-F-O-L-D. Okay. Um I think you would love this game. It is a it's a it's a kind of um it's a roguelike-ish sudoku, uh, not sudoku. Um uh, Sokoban, sorry, it's a roguelike so- Sokoban kind of uh little game strategy game mix, and it's really um it's really uh, it's really captured my attention. I was a big Slay the Spire player, but almost a year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've heard that there's lots of good new stuff in there, like daily modes and things like that. So I'm, I might get back into Slay the Spire. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, otherwise, I, I'm unfortunately, like, spending lots of time playtesting Dear Reader. Yeah, I know that, what you mean. That, that game I'm working on, but... Um, um why you I I, I recently got a, a switch because I'm always behind the, the technology curve. Any games you would recommend? Well, I mean I yeah, I do have a switch. Um I
1: I get you know, I uh Breath of the Wild obviously was I think that was maybe the best my favorite of the Zelda games. Yeah. Um and uh I played the Mario Tennis Aces and it was fine. It was like the 64 one, which I like a lot. The feel of it's very solid, but it, it felt a little bit rushed as an overall product. Um I I did like the RPG um Octopath Traveler. I didn't beat it, I just played like the demo, and it seemed you know, it's very classic JRPG, but with like just enough uh, innovation in the combat system where you're like, oh, OK, I guess I could go along with this and, you know, nice aesthetics and things like that. Um, I wish I had more oh, to.
0: I, I have a couple more. Um, sure. Come to think of it. Um, Plague Inc. I met the designer of Plague Inc. At, uh, at the Games for Change Festival. That's a kind of an interesting game because it breaks a lot of rules of good game design um but it has been i believe in the top 10 of mobile games for years mm-hmm. so that that thing is doing uh really really well um yeah. there's also um meteor fall is an interesting game that is i've been playing that on on an iphone meteor fall is a very simple deck building game and I, I just I mean simple in the sense that it's interactively simple It feels like every time you 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 draw a card you just decide do I play it or do I not play it? So mm. it feels like rains interactively. Yeah um, But it is a deck builder and it is really interesting and I'm fascinated that you know Like I said like we were talking about with auto chess um, Maybe that's on deck for me to, to 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 dive into next but um like I was talking about with auto chess um It is a, it is a simple interactive window into a really large and complicated landscape. And I love those kinds of games.
1: Yeah, uh, me too. Um, I'm, 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 I I often go back and forth on like, I feel like a lot of those things tend to be too simple. Um, you know, where they're like, uh, because I'm always looking for the game that I can just like sink the next five years into, (laughs) you know what I mean? Um, what's that? As a player, you mean? As a player, yeah.
0: Yeah. Five years is a long time. It's true. I mean, you know, not every writer has to write War and Peace, right? Mm-hmm. You can write a poem, you can write a short story, you can write a novella, you can write, you know, a magazine article. So, so, uh, it's, it's all writing, not, not every game. And sometimes, the fun thing about games is that you don't always know, like you're sort of discovering things as much as you are inventing them. For sure. Sometimes you stumble upon something and I think it's okay that, you know, some it's an amuse-bouche. It's not a banquet.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I, I, I definitely see in your work and work like Oro and, and other games of yours that I've played. I, I, I also see that interest in kind of a simple, simple front end, a complicated back end. It's a, it's a nice, um, I, I like it because it's, it's it's almost for the it's for the same reason that I really love designing tabletop games. I feel that designing tabletop games forces you to be elegant with the front end because and with the rules, because mm-hmm. players are the CPU and you can't get away with like sloppy code. You yeah. the game has to be understandable um, for players. I love that as a design challenge. And it's why I I teach game design. We didn't get into this. That could be the next time talking about game design um but i teach game design not with computers and technology first of all i'm not a programmer but also i feel like you get it all you get all the fundamentals in tabletop games card games board games physical games social games um systems you get iteration you get you get design you get representation you get the human part the formal part the cultural part even in tabletop games so.
1: yeah no it's true but me- it. yeah we'll hit that next time for sure um Cool. Well, anything else you anything you want to plug or uh, like talk about uh, before we sign off?
0: No, just keep an can eye out for Dear Reader. And um, I actually have to get out the phone. We're about to review some um, music files that 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 uh, uh, that we're hoping to get into the next milestone. So awesome. I'm deep in, I'm deep in uh, development uh, uh, process for that now. All righty. Well,
1: Eric, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I look forward to having you again.
0: Thank you so much, Keith. It was a lot of fun.
1: Okay, so I. It's funny. I was uh, actually just sitting and chatting with uh, uh, Brick Road, aka Brett Lowy, um, the d- lead designer and developer, I think the only core developer at Brain Good Games. They're the developers, well, the developer behind uh, Militia. Um, Minos Strategos, um, Axes and Acres, um, Solar Settlers, and right now they're working on Militia Two, which I am very pleased to announce that uh, I did some music for. Um, but anyway, uh, I had Brett on. Uh, we we just started up a Discord, you know, voice chat, just because I was having a lot of trouble with one of my board games, um, Gem Wizards, the card game, and we uh, were just talking through some problems. Uh, he actually really helped me a lot, which was really great. Um, And then all of a sudden we got into this conversation about randomness and I was like, wait, stop, (laughs) save this. And I just I hit record on my recording application and so this was kind of actually an impromptu um, recording that you're hearing. Um, We didn't schedule this or plan this or anything but I found it really good and I thought it would be cool to throw it on there and then after that we talked about hey let's make this into like a segment where we like have these little quick conversations. And he agreed, so we're gonna, in the future, have, on some episodes, not all, um, uh, Design Scribbles with Brett Lowy, is what it's gonna be called. Uh, I hope that I can make a uh, little jingle. I already got some some like uh, ideas in mind for how it could sound. Um, and so yeah, uh, this is the kind of thing that you could do too, if you if anyone listening is interested in this kind of thing. Send me some a pitch, you know, send me, you can just send me a finished little mp3 or whatever of you saying your stuff. Um, But yes, please enjoy this first ever uh, episode of... And of course, Brett Lowy has been on this podcast before. You can go back to one of the first... It's like in the first 10 episodes or so, I think. It's a very early episode where we had Brett Lowy on. Definitely check out his games, braingoodgames.com. Really cool stuff. Um very interesting designer who uses single player elo in i think all of his games which is awesome i'm not sure if i know of any other um developers who do that um so anyways uh without further ado here's my conversation on randomness with brett lowey now okay so
2: (laughs) Okay, well, uh, yeah, so, well, I guess my point, yeah, go ahead.
1: Well, I, I just wanted to open it up by saying, like, uh, we were talking about game design and, uh, and uh, like, you know, what would be good in a game, and actually just say what you just kind of said a second ago,
2: again. Sure, I think in, uh, in, or no, when people are talking about games generally, game fans that aren't necessarily game designers, a lot of the times they talk about um, randomness, and balance, because I think those are some of the easiest things to talk about um, in games. And it's like, you get a very visceral reaction to both, right? It's like, if you lose to something that's overpowered or whatever, you have a visceral reaction to it, or that you perceive as overpowered. And the same thing is with, with RNG. Like, if you get bad luck in a game, and you lose to that, it's like very visceral, right? Mm-hmm. But, but if you look at the kind of games that people actually play and enjoy, uh, they quite often have healthy doses of both. So I think, like, there's this um, availability bias thing going on in game discussion, where uh, there's a perception that people don't like these two things, like slight imbalance and like slight randomness, uh, because that's a lot of what's talked about. And well, and because they often.
1: consciously
2: don't like it,
1: I think, right. like they they think in their mind that they don't like it,
2: right? Because every time that it like really comes up or it becomes really noticeable, it's normally negative, right? But if you look at the games that people actually play and enjoy and even like a lot of the moments that they're enjoying in games like somebody will top deck like a wrath of god or something in a in magic uh, at a pro tour or something and it's like such a hype moment and like i don't know like people just really enjoy that kind of stuff
1: yeah same uh, another example would be like stealing baron in league of legends yeah. uh
2: yeah. yeah exactly
1: yeah well yeah it's
2: so
1: yeah well, go ahead. well i was what gonna was say
2: <laughs> <laughs> all right you go we, we have thoughts <laughs> yeah, it's the same thing in like, uh, I don't know, like a fighting game or something. Like there will be a player that plays, I don't, I don't know, I'm so far behind on Street Fighter or whatever, but like some player will play like Akuma the whole tournament, right? And like mm-hmm. Akuma will be like the best, or the character that most people are playing, right? And then like it'll get to the grand finals and then be playing against like some other character, right? Like somebody's pocket strat character. And it's like, I don't know, that's like the whole underdog story thing, right? It's like, you know, I hope that he can like use his you know, unrepresented character to like triumph over the OP (laughs) or whatever. Sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, so this is, this the reason I was like, I need to record this conversation (laughs) is because, um, uh well a you know I I've been wanting to have you back on my podcast anyway yeah. but but B um you know I've been recently thinking about and actually I thought a lot about this after Oro came out was the mm-hmm. idea of a game that like is sort of designed to win forum uh, arguments and yeah, versus yeah, a game yeah. that like people really you know are excited to play and that's a
2: good way to, that's a good way to frame it
1: <laughs> yeah 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 and so um I don't know it, it's it's tricky because I I, I I don't know if I I love uh, it's weird like I'm kind of like well do I but do I love games that are really random and really imbalanced like because like I don't like magic that much but maybe I don't like magic for some totally different reason. Well Um, I think
2: there's also a threshold right and I think everybody's threshold is different like some people can tolerate uh, randomness or imbalance more than others. Sure. There's like a personality dimension to it as well but I think by and large almost everyone has a higher tolerance than they think they do
1: <laughs> yeah i think that's true it's it's hard to and that's the it points to like the difficulty in really even pegging down where your own threshold is and yeah. and and you know also just how random a game is like man when you ask people like to me i as someone who is very much like this like uh, randomness you know uh hunter or something uh you know yeah. uh, for me if you if you ask me how random a game is. Like I I've thought about that a lot and I, I feel like I can give you a, uh, an answer that I feel like I can defend and stuff. But like, I, if you ask most people, like how random a game is, they, they really just, uh, even people who play games seriously and stuff, they're just like, I, you know, I don't know, like, what do you want for me? You know, like leave me alone. Yeah. Um,
2: well, it, yeah, well, it's something to do with like you, well, first you have to measure like the skill of the players somehow. And then you have to measure like what impact that skill is having on determining the outcome yeah so it's like for even it's just incredibly hard to measure right yeah because <laughs> there's like yeah. multiple dimensions you have to combine them with like statistical analysis <laughs> it's like yeah whatever uh, uh, are you're you... still like oh this is random <laughs> right
1: yeah so are you are you playing um the, have you played any of the auto chess variants yet
2: yeah i, I play i played a few games of underlords now okay yeah Um,
1: so so to me that might be a good like you know uh discussion point because like to me perfect example yeah yeah like to me that game is very 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 random like way more random than than most of the games that you know i guess not more random maybe than magic although it might be more random than magic because of those um the fights and the ways that those those kind of it's almost like a peggle situation with those fights you know yeah um uh yeah and so uh I don't know. I mean, it's one of the most, I would say it's one of the most random games I've maybe even ever played, but at the same time, like it, it, you know i i also get it how it works because like it's like fantasy football you know where you which is totally random like god you're 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 picking like if you think about fantasy football and how random that is really like the number of like constraints and like you know physics weird properties like some football player might hurt their leg and then your fantasy football team now is bad and like you know there's just so many things that can happen that can cause you to win or lose in fantasy football that are completely unpredictable and uh and random by any you know valid use of that term and so anyway this is like the video game version of that and um you know and and
2: and it's it's people love it and well i think the localized randomness is really good i I think that's what like people really like it's like oh i got a really good hand or or, i don't know what you would call it like an underlords or whatever it's like this five is like really good i can like match up and get my my set collection done or whatever yeah it's like in underlords the structure is such that like you do so many trials well you know in theory at least like that you do so many trials that it kind of like iterates it out you know or even like there's like the re-rolling mechanic right for later in the game where you can like re-roll like i don't know whatever 20 times or something to find the last level five that you need or you know right Yeah. You know, it is still very random, but like, or like with magic or whatever, it's like, yes, there's like a 60% win rate for the best deck against, or like the best deck matchup against the worst deck matchup or whatever. But like, you iterate that out over like a tournament of trials, right? Right. Like, you still, you know, I think it has both properties that people like, where it's like the better things tend to do better, but worse things can do good. You know, I think people like both of those things.
0: Yeah,
1: I think so. Um, yeah, I mean, because you know, I do believe that it is ultimately some force of non-randomness or, or you know, player agency which creates meaning in games. If if something yeah. is completely random, it's meaningless. And um, yes. and and you know, uh, I think. But what's I'm, what's kind of occurring to me uh, is that. All this time, maybe it hasn't so much been randomness, even of the bad kinds that I, that I often write about that bothers me as much as it is. So, like, what's another reason that I might not like Magic the Gathering? Well, the game state is really transient. Like, there's not a yep. lot of, like, structural stuff that you're doing. Like, um, it, it, you know, everything changes really fast and you're getting all these cards and, like, you know, units are flying on and off the board, like, pretty fast. And yep. it may be that, that that's the problem. Lack of structure. Um, yeah, it's be-
2: like very, well, it's very tactical, kind of, like, yeah, yeah the games, you get a new game state all the time, so it's like like forget all that crap like this is what's happening now right exactly so, and like the more extreme example that would be like hearthstone it's like literally people meme about how like they're just no minions on the board any turn and it's like right. if a player ends like starts their turn with minions on the board it's like oh they e- have easily won now
1: right right yeah yeah exactly no i mean and and so that you know that's another reason like i don't i don't love like poker that much like there's just so there's not as much structure there's not as much like to build on and 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 to me like those you know euro games are so good because they're like you're just building this big elaborate sand castle um and some euro games are are you know a little bit random and uh but they also would have that randomness as well as like structure on top of structure and with structure and Mm -hmm. and so i guess that's maybe what i'm kind of like coming to realize is that it's not like randomness is not the enemy for me anyway uh but for me what i'm looking for is something that has structure and that you know that the randomness is not so severe that it just like blows away your whole sandcastle every couple turns and you're starting from scratch
2: yeah that makes sense
1: And that's the show. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to my patrons for making the show possible. Uh, thank you to Eric Zimmerman for coming on and as well as Brett Lowy. Um, and yes, if you'd like to support the show, keep in mind, this show is a Patreon-funded show. There's no ads or anything like that. It's uh, all free for everybody, but patrons get secret behind-the-scenes stuff, early prototypes, uh, videos like laying out things I'm working on, and all kinds of other cool little things. So, um, But mostly it's about supporting this kind of work there's not a lot of people doing this kind of work out there um, where you know it's really a semi-academic it's like half academic half you know it's like half research half like actually trying to produce these things and put them out into the world and into the marketplace and um so if you value that please consider contributing a few bucks to the patreon at www.patreon.com slash keithbergun anyway see you next time thanks for listening